0: We've been working through Acts for a while. Uh, we talked about at the beginning of Acts that the church was born by the Spirit. Jesus defeated sin and death through his life, death, burial, and resurrection and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And at his ascension, he told the church to wait for the Spirit and the Spirit fell on the church and the church began to spread miraculously through the proclamation of the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. The church was born by the Spirit and then the church continued to be built by the Spirit as we work through Acts. We saw the church growing and Going from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria into and the ends of the earth. We saw that as we continued our series with the Church on the Move, which just finished up recently. Last week, Philip just started us on a new series in Acts. So if you're just jumping in with us, you're just on the second week of this series. In chapter 14, he looked at a theology of suffering, kicking off our series, Growing Pains. And he said to make sure that everyone knew this was not the show, Growing Pains, which I can honestly say I've never seen. So if that offends you, I apologize. Growing pains is where we are now, because the church, as it was growing, experienced growing pains. Big shock. Some of you maybe have been in a church that has experienced growing pains before. It happens. And What we see in Acts chapter 15 today, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 35, which is a long chunk, but a lot of it repeats, so we won't have to cover all of it again. Um, There's a major tension that had been building in the church, basically since we started the book of Acts, probably, honestly, before then, But what we see is Jews and Gentiles trying to figure out what it means that the gospel is for everyone. What does that look like? What did it mean to be saved by grace? Did the Gentiles need to keep the Jewish laws and customs in order to be saved? Did they need the laws after being saved? What's really great is that the conclusions that God gives us in his word are relevant for us today. This passage lets us know what the gospel message really is with clarity. Let us know that, you know, do we need to keep all the laws of Scripture, or some of them, or how do we know which ones? But most importantly, this passage shows us what a person must do to be saved. Acts chapter 15, starting in verse 1, says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. When they'd been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. The whole assembly became silent. And listened to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they stopped speaking, James responded, Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this, as it is written, After these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again so the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who make these things known from long ago. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those to proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he has read aloud in the synagogues. Then the apostles and the elders of the whole church decided to select men who were among them and to send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. They wrote, From the apostles and elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, Greetings. "'Since we have heard that some without our authorization went out from us "'and troubled you with their words and unsettled your hearts, "'we have unanimously decided to select men and send them to you "'along with our dearly loved Barnabas and Paul, "'who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. "'Therefore, we have sent Judas and Silas, "'who will personally report the same things by word of mouth. "'For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours "'not to place further burdens on you beyond these requirements.' "...that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. You will do well if you keep yourselves from these things." So they were sent off and went down to Antioch. And after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message... After spending some time there, they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. This is the word of God. If you didn't notice, verse 1 immediately sets the tone and seriousness of the debate that's happening in Acts chapter 15. Verse 1 says, Some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's a pretty serious thing, right? This is happening at the church at Antioch. That's where they come down to. And they start saying, If you don't do this thing, you aren't a Christian. That's kind of the biggest claim you can make in a church, right? So, like, I can say, you can do this and it'd be good, you can do this and it'd be bad, but if I start saying, you have to do this or you're not saved, suddenly we've got a pretty serious discussion happening. Look in verse 2, it says, After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in serious arguments and debate, I'm just going to pause there because that means that Paul and Barnabas were in heated arguments with these people, okay? What they were saying was it wasn't good enough to be saved by grace through faith in Jesus, They were saying, you've got to do more. They were saying it's the gospel and, the gospel plus. They were saying that Jesus himself wasn't enough to be saved. But there was still more to be done. And that did not sit well with Paul and Barnabas. And they debated them. The verse continues, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about the issue. The issue was such a big deal, the church in Antioch said, you know what? Paul and Barnabas, we need you to go down to the church in Jerusalem, which was kind of like the central hub for the church at the time. Everyone had come out from there. While Antioch had become this great missions church that was sending and planting a bunch of churches, Jerusalem was still kind of the original deal. There were still a lot of apostles and leaders there. And they said, you need to go back and sort this out. We need to know what's right on this issue. So they send Paul and Barnabas back to Jerusalem. Verse 3 says... When they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in detail the conversion of the Gentiles, and they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. Paul and Barnabas, as they've done throughout Acts now, as they travel, they told the good news of what God had been doing, and it was causing people where there were a lot of Hellenistic Jews, that is, Gentile believers, it was causing them to rejoice. They were saying, you mean God's saving somebody like me? Man, that's awesome, praise the Lord! So Paul and Barnabas are going about their lives, speaking this good news. People are being encouraged. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. So they continue to tell. But verse 5 kind of throws a kink in here. It says, But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. First of all, Pharisees who are Christians, if you're you're new to church, all right, you go through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to see a lot of interaction with Jesus and the Pharisees. And it's a lot about how basically religion can't save you. You can have all the religion, all the laws you want. You're not going to get saved this way. A lot of interactions with the Pharisees, though Jesus is compassionate with them and calls them to a better way. But here we have people who are called believers there in that verse. Notice that, but some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees. They were still holding on to something that was before they were believers. I'm not saying you can't be a Pharisee and be a Christian, but I'm saying that had to be a fine line to walk. Okay, That had to be a tough thing. They may have been blind to some of their own personal biases that they had learned before they were Christians that they kind of held on to. Maybe something to think about for us. They said that people must be circumcised and keep all of the Old Testament law to be saved. Now, let's just go ahead and say, the elders at Jerusalem are better people than I am. Because they did not kick the Pharisees out. I'd have been like, no, that's not the gospel. Get on down the road. But instead, they're actually going to have a nice little meeting about it and figure it out. It's interesting to me, though. These believers who are Pharisees, they're hearing all this great news of what God has done to reach the Gentiles. This is what they told in Samaria and Phoenicia. That's what they're telling in Jerusalem now. And everyone who hears it is encouraged except for this group. The first thing they respond with is it is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Not praise the Lord. Not thank you Jesus for saving these people. It's, well, they need to get in line and look like we do. church one thing i want to offer as encouragement especially to the members here at radiant today is this is not something i've seen at this church i've seen this at other churches it's an ugly thing when someone gets saved and rather than celebrate that someone has repented and trusted jesus for salvation instead people immediately begin to question well are they gonna start dressing like i do Are are they gonna come to the sunday school hour that we have where are they gonna park are they gonna sit in my seat some of y'all are like, that's ridiculous. No one would actually say, are they going to sit in my seat? It's true. I've heard it asked. People care about stuff. But here, this was deep-seated. This was everything they learned growing up and saying, are these people going to get with the program? Again, Radiant Church, I'm so glad we don't seem to be this way. We seem to be able to celebrate and honestly give people the benefit of the doubt. I, I always think it's a good thing to err on the side of grace with one another, and, and that-, that can be a really good way to go, because then if we're wrong, then hey, we I'd rather apologize for being too gracious than being too strict, right? So we can err on the side of grace with people. We can celebrate with them. But these Pharisees do not do that. Verse 6 says the apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. So the church leaders call a meeting. That's what's happening. Verse 7, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up. Of course Peter stood up, right? If you've read the Gospels, if you've read Acts through here, Peter's the guy who always stands up. Normally puts his foot in his mouth But in Acts, Peter's been starting to get it. He's been proclaiming the gospel. He's been going to people who don't look like him. He's been breaking out of what he's used to for the sake of Christ. And one of the commentaries I read on this actually said that this may be Peter's most important speech. Because Peter would have been raised Jewish. He would have been raised to have been a Pharisee, or at least in that same belief system. So for him to step up and say, no, God is doing something new here, is a big development for Peter. Let's look in that second half of verse 7 when he starts talking. It says, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers and sisters, you are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. If you've been tracking with us through Acts, or if you just flip back and look at Acts another day, you'll see that Peter has already taken the gospel to Gentiles. He even had all these crazy visions, and there were all these animals on this big like blanket thing. And I'm telling you, go read it. It's, it's a lot." But he has this big moment, this life-changing moment that says, this is for them too. Don't call them unclean. So Peter starts to say, listen, God chose them. He's calling into mind covenant language there, folks. God, in early parts of Genesis, chose people for himself, promised to Abraham, of your descendants, I will have a people. And the Jewish people for a long time had thought, that means us. That means ethnic Israel. That means Jewish people only. And Jesus came and began to show them how it was God's plan all along to save a people for himself from every nation, tribe, and tongue. So Peter says God chose them too. In verse 8 he says, And God who knows the heart bore bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he also did to us. So not only did God choose these people, but he bore witness to them through the Spirit. God the Spirit, God himself has indwelled these people, has empowered these people to repentance and faith and a lot of miracles and things like that we've seen. Who are we to deny God? Now, let me caution against something here. It can be really easy to say, any church that's growing must be doing something right. right? I've heard it said, healthy things grow. So if a church is growing, it's healthy. Y'all, you know what else grows? Cancer. Okay, so I'm not saying that all churches that are growing are bad. That's not what I mean. I pray that we grow, continue to grow. A lot of churches that are huge are doing great things. What I'm saying, though, is they're not just celebrating here and saying, oh, you know, we're, we're just going to call it God did this. No, they saw evidence that God did this. They knew the Spirit had fallen on these people through miraculous signs, through prophecy, through healings. All, all kinds of things were happening that showed that the Spirit was with them and in this message. Okay? This was something not just being ascribed to God, but something that God was actively doing in his church. Verse 9, Peter continues, He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. He made no distinction. God did not look and say, I'll save one Jewish one, I'll save one Gentile one. No, he says, I will save sinners who will call upon the name of the Lord That's good news for us, folks. That's good news for us. He doesn't look and say, this person's good enough, this person's not. He knows that none of us are good enough, and yet he abundantly pours out his grace that we may be saved. And just as he cleansed their hearts by faith, he does the same for all who trust in Jesus now. We can be called righteous because Jesus is righteous, not because we are. Our hearts can be cleansed and made pure by faith. Peter continues in verse 10. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? I really think Peter's beginning to culminate what he's saying here. Okay, I told you this passage tells us what must we do to be saved. What must a person do to be saved? And you have these people at the beginning saying, well, they've got to be circumcised. And then you have these Christian Pharisees saying, they've got to be circumcised and obey all the laws of Moses. Peter probably offended some of them with verse 10. He says, Why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? He says, None of us have been able to keep the law. If salvation is by keeping the law perfectly, we are all, every one of us, doomed. And if that's how you relate to God, because I think naturally in our flesh that may be how we relate to God, because Somewhere in us, being made in his image, we know right and wrong that he's given to us. This sense of morality, this kind of Romans 1. We see what's good in the world. We see what's bad in the world. And we think, if I can do enough good, maybe. If I don't do too much bad, maybe I'll be with God. Maybe I'll live forever. Maybe it's a selfish thing. It's not even about being with God, but it's just, maybe I'll live forever. Maybe he'll be kind to me. Maybe it'll be okay because I'll have a good enough record. Peter says, no. Peter says, we don't have a chance to keep this. We never have. Our ancestors didn't keep the law like they were supposed to. You don't keep the law like you're supposed to. I don't keep the law like I'm supposed to. We need another way. And in verse 11, he says, On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, apart from the works of the law. Hallelujah, we're saved by grace. Folks, every one of us are undeserving. We're saved because God is merciful and good and compassionate and faithful and kind. Not because we're worthy. If this doesn't strike you as good news, then maybe you think too highly of your record of law. Maybe you feel like, well, I'm I'm pretty good. I've, I've been a mostly good person. Mostly good does not compare to perfectly holy like God. We are sinners in need of God's mercy and grace. And the good news of Jesus Christ is that he gives it to us. If we will repent and believe in Jesus. Peter there, back in verse 9, said he makes no no distinction between us and them. And here in verse 11, he says, they're saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, in the same way they are. We are saved just like they are. They are saved just like we are. There's hope for everyone who will repent and believe. Folks, it's never hard to convince people that we can't convince the law, but I've learned that it can be hard to convince them that Jesus kept the law perfectly. He fulfilled the law. And he paid the penalty for our failure to keep the law at the cross. He bore the wrath of God in our place, taking on our sin that we could have his righteousness, his holiness. Peter here isn't just contending for some little thing or like some way we do church. He's contending for the gospel itself. Understand the gospel is not a list of things to do so you can go to heaven. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ has accomplished everything necessary for all who will trust him to be made right with God now, today, and for all eternity. This is news that should transform us completely head to toe. Peter rightly claims here that a person cannot do anything to be saved except trust Jesus in his finished work, his life, death, burial, and resurrection. We call out to him as Savior and Lord. We trust him for who he is and for what he's done. And there is no Savior apart from him. There is no salvation apart from his. If you're here and you think, man, this is such elementary stuff. I've been going to church. I know the gospel. I know it's by grace through faith. Why are we going over this again? This is just such a simple message. Can we get Philip back so he can get us into deep theologies of suffering and things like that? First of all, it's in the text. for preaching the text. Second of all, if you think that, you've misunderstood the gospel. Because the gospel is not just the entryway into Christianity. It is our very life and sustaining truth. This is the message that we will celebrate for all eternity as we're gathered around the throne. Jesus went to the cross and died in our place. Not just for ethnic Israel. Not just for people who look like me he died for all who will call on him as Lord and repent of their sins. Peter's words, we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are silenced, the assembly. Verse 12 says, the whole assembly became silent. I'm impressed we could go that long, everybody. Normally you go that long, eventually you get somebody saying like, oh, am I supposed to be saying amen right now? So they just like shout out. Or you get a kid scream or a cell phone goes off or something. It's hard to make a whole assembly, be quiet, especially if you've been debating each other, right? They were going back and forth about this. And now Peter says, we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are, and it's They begin to listen to Barnabas and Paul describe all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. Paul and Barnabas begin testifying to this truth. What a cool thing. Jesus, Peter in this situation says, we're saved by grace through faith. Paul and Barnabas goes, yeah, and let me tell you about how we've seen people be saved by grace through faith. So they don't just preach it, but then it's testify that we have seen and experienced this truth we know that God graciously saves Gentiles because we've witnessed it. Verse 13 says, after they stopped speaking, James responded. Now, this is James, who would have been Jesus' half-brother. Talk about having a little brother complex, right? That had to be a rough time. James, Jesus' half-brother, he was an elder at the church of Jerusalem. He was obviously very influential. or He wouldn't have been speaking up at this time. He begins to speak out. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Now, something important here is they're having this debate. I noticed that James and Peter both say brothers. They both call on each other as family, even amidst the debate, because they're calling believers together on this truth of the gospel. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Simeon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. Now, he calls him Simeon because he uses Simon Peter's Jewish name. James was a smart guy, right? He's talking to Pharisees, and he's like, I'm going to use this Jewish name that's going to really appeal to them. Simeon has told us how this happens. Now, what James is going to do is he's going to agree with Peter, and he's going to give some scripture to prove it. Verses 15 through 18, he says, And the words of the prophets agree with this, as it is written, After these things I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. I will rebuild its ruins and set it up again, so the rest of humanity may seek the Lord even all the gentiles who are called by my name declares the lord who make these things known from long ago james is quoting here from amos 9:11 and 12 and isaiah 45:21 to show what peter's saying has always been true and it's in the scriptures we read every sunday but now we can get it this whole bible all of scripture points to who jesus is and what he's done to save a people for himself This is a great eternal mystery. Verse 19 says, Therefore, James still speaking, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. Yes and amen. That should be the end of the chapter, right? We shouldn't cause them any problems. We're saved by grace. We're done. Verses 20 and 21 may confuse you. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those who proclaim him in every city, and every Sabbath day he is read aloud in the synagogues. What? He just affirmed, he even used scripture to say, yes, we are completely saved by Christ's finished work. When he said, it is finished on the cross, he meant it. It was not, it is finished, but it is done. And then he says, but we should tell him to do these things. What was James doing here? Was James adding to the gospel? The answer, of course, is no. He's not. He's just confirmed that the gospel is by grace through faith. So at first glance, this may seem like a compromise on the gospel of grace, but it's not. What this is, is a show of respect and charity for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Understand, he's affirming they are saved. Now, we think they should do this. It's not they should do this so that they must be saved. It's they are saved, so now we're going to call them to live charitably, to go above and beyond holiness, to love their brothers and sisters well. Now, this may be confusing, because he lists off stuff they're not supposed to eat. He tells them to abstain from sexual immorality. And you start thinking, well, what laws do we have to keep? What laws do we not keep? It's important to remember that Jesus said he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. None of the law will ever pass away, he tells us. Equally confusing here, Paul in Romans chapter 14 basically says you can eat whatever you want. You can pray and you can eat whatever you want. Just acknowledge each other's um, preferences and be kind to each other essentially. But here in Acts 15 it says don't eat things sacrificed to idols. Understand though the point is not to compromise on the requirements of salvation but to love others well once we have been saved. Now I'm going to back up a bit and then go forward with this explanation, okay? We are not saved by our good works. Yes and amen. But we are called to good works once we have been saved. Holy living after being saved includes loving our neighbors well and considering what may hinder them from holy living. What James was recommending was saying, listen, the Gentiles are saved by grace through faith. But we think they should do these things to respect their brothers and sisters who are Jewish. okay? They don't put the whole law on them. This actually very much parallels from Leviticus, where it says what a foreigner would do if they came into the people. They say, But there are these things they should do. And they tell them about eating the food specifically. Now, there is one thing here which is about sexual immorality. A lot of the moral law, Jesus actually raised the bar on. He did not drop it and say, you can live however you want. He actually raised the bar. You can see that at the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, he calls us to a righteousness that is holier than that of the Pharisees, okay? But the point here that we're trying to get to, the point that Paul makes in Romans 14, the, the point is the same thing here, is that Jesus has purchased a people for himself, all right? If you believe in Jesus, he has purchased you and he has given you freedom in this life, What Paul calls us to in Romans 14 when he talks about eating things and not eating things, and what James is calling these believers at Antioch to, is to love our neighbors more than our freedoms. To love our neighbors more than our freedoms. It's one thing to say, yes, by God's grace, I am of age and I can drink alcohol legally. And I can do that and not get drunk and go against Scripture that way on moral law, but I can drink and take alcohol, and there's nothing inherently wrong with doing that. But y'all, alcohol can cause serious damage to familiar relationships, to personal health, these kind of things. Now, some of y'all are like, is he about to say I can't drink alcohol? What I'm saying is there is a place for Christian freedom in that realm, but I will also say you should be mindful of brothers and sisters who may have been affected by this, Because that is loving them well. Does that make sense? I bring that up because I heard a lot growing up, the phrase was teetotalers. We're teetotally against alcohol, we're not going to drink alcohol, that shouldn't happen. We don't do that, Christians don't do that. And then I started reading the Bible and being better discipled, and I was going, Scripture doesn't say that. In fact, there's even one verse where Paul tells Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach and for his physical ailments. Like, what's going on? But it was also clear that Scripture says not to be drunk, so I was really confused with all this, and it helped me to put it into this perspective. This is just one example of a law that we have freedom to do, but it may not be wise for us to do it. It may be something where I can say, I love my brother and sister in Christ enough to not make use of this freedom. Now, that's just one example. There are lots of others we could make, but that's one I figured some of you might be able to relate to, think about, um, I love that James here calls them to a better way. And what we're going to see when they receive this news is they understand that this is good news. They understand that he's not trying to hold the law on them and say, you must do this to be saved. They understand that this is, you are saved. Now we're calling you to a better way to live. Okay? So don't cause your brothers and sisters to stumble. Don't play stumbling blocks. Good. Good. In verse 22, they continue, it says, Then the apostles and the elders with the whole church decided to select men who were among them and send to them, and send them, and to send them, sorry, to Antioch with Barnabas and with Paul and Barnabas, Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, both leading men among the brothers. So they get together, they say, we're going to send some of our best people to them, Paul and Barnabas, we're going to send Judas and Silas to them, also... Got to feel kind of bad for Judas here, because when we think of Judas, we think of the guy who betrayed Judas, which is why. It says, Judas, called Sabbath. Like, yeah, I'd probably go by another name, too, at that point. Don't know if that's why it doesn't say that, but when I read it, I'm like, nah, that's valid. Both leading men among the brothers, they wrote, from the apostles and the elders, your brothers, to the brothers and sisters among the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Now, I'm not going to reread the whole letter because it's exactly what James just said, that they thought they should do, what things they should abstain from, that they are indeed saved by grace. He's sending these brothers to go and explain this to them and proclaim this to them. So he does that. I do want you to look at verses 28 and 29, though. Verse 28 says, For it was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours not to place further burdens on you, Beyond these requirements, that you abstain from food offered to idols, from blood, and from eating anything that has been strangled, and from sexual immorality, you will do well if you keep yourselves from these things. Farewell. Also, I love that they just ended a letter with farewell. <laughs> Gotta start doing that with my text messages. It was the Holy Spirit's decision and ours. I love that. What they start telling is we have confirmed this together as a church. That this is the will of God himself. And it's our desire too. To see you be called brothers and sisters. They started this letter again. We had the address from Peter, brothers and sisters. The address from James, brothers and sisters. And they start this letter the same way. Calling them family. Before they start asking them to follow these requirements. Showing that they are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 30 says, So they were sent off. And went down to Antioch. And after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. That should affirm that this was a positive message. If you're doubting, going, I don't, I don't really see why they're wording it this way. Even the people who this was kind of in question about, when they got the letter back, they were like, Yes, praise the Lord! We're being embraced by the church of Jerusalem. We're being embraced by the church. They're calling us brothers and sisters. They're treating us like family. They're just calling us to live in some ways that respect other people. Yes, we want to do that. We want to respect other people. What a crazy idea, wanting to respect other people, 2018. Verse 32 says, both Judas and Silas, who were also prophets themselves, encouraged the brothers and sisters and strengthened them with a long message. Long preachers. There you go. After spending some time there, they went. Or they were sent back in peace by the brothers and sisters to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas, along with many others, remained in Antioch, teaching and proclaiming the word of the Lord. I love that when they hear that we are indeed saved by grace through faith, it's not a knock on their own personal records. They didn't say, oh, are you saying I'm not good enough according to your law? They didn't hear the new demands of holy living now that they are saved, and go, oh, why are, you, why are you giving us such difficult things? No, instead they celebrated. They rejoiced at this message of grace. They rejoiced that the only requirement to be saved is God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. When you hear that, do you hear it as something rote or just repetitive that you hear in church that doesn't mean anything to you? Or do you hear that as the good news that it is? When we talk about salvation by grace, do you hear that as a positive thing in your life? Does it make you rejoice? It should. Because where we have all failed to keep the law, Jesus fulfilled the law. And by faith, we receive his right standing with God. Now we strive to walk in holiness in light of Jesus' finished work, not as an attempt to earn salvation but for God's glory and for our good and for the sake of our brothers and sisters. If you're a believer and you're here today, I hope this passage just reminds you, first of all, that we are saved by grace alone. We're saved by God's grace and mercy and because he's compassionate, that should lead us to be gracious and compassionate with other people. I also hope that we'll understand that God calls us to holy living in light of that grace. I think if we really understand the grace of God and we trust Jesus for salvation, following the law and being holy then becomes something we want to do. Our affections change. We see the goodness of God. We know his grace and mercy and we want to glorify him with our lives. Lastly, if you're a believer and you're here today, I hope you see from this debate in Acts 15 that if we add to the gospel, we lose the gospel. We must not force our traditions or our preferences on others. That's been a tough thing for me. Because it's easy for me to draw my own convictions and say, man, everyone should look like me. You should all wear plaid shirts and Levi jeans and brown shoes. And we should all read the ESV Bible, even though I'm preaching from the CSB. And we should all listen to indie rock music. And we should all cheer for Alabama. Sorry. Sorry. Or whatever it is. And we may not say it that way. We never come out and say it that way, right? But almost at a subconscious level, we try to hold people to standards that we don't even meet. We do that. And this is a call for us to recognize that in ourselves. And to remind ourselves of the basics of the gospel. That if this person believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Calls on him as Savior and Lord. Turns away from sin. This person is saved. And they don't have to look like me, necessarily, to walk in holiness. I can disciple someone without saying, you need to assimilate to my culture. Okay? If you're here today and you're a non-believer, you say, I don't know about all this Jesus stuff. You've been talking a lot from the Bible like it's true. Yes, I do believe it's true. But if you're here today and you don't know about all this Christianity stuff, I hope you'll hear. You can never meet the righteous requirements of the law. You're never going to be a good enough person on your own. You're never going to be fulfilled that way and you're never going to have eternal life with God that way. He is too perfect. He is too good. And in our own strength, in my own strength, I have no hope of being made right with him. But that same God who is holy and wrathful against sin, is also loving and kind and gracious enough to send us a Savior and to make the way for us to be saved. I I love the song the anthem that we sang. Hallelujah, you have won the victory. That's true, y'all. God has purchased people for himself according to his own mercy, not according to our works, because if it were according to our works, none of us would be saved. If you're here today and you don't know him, repent and believe. Believe that message and be transformed. Find new life in Christ that starts now and goes on forever with him. Let's pray.